0: Why, hello, people. Welcome back to the Mind Body Hoops podcast. You guys know, if you've listened before, I like to talk to people within the holistic health and wellness space. I like to talk to top performers and experts. Today, I sit down with one of the best brains in basketball, Micah Lancaster. Micah is a NBA Skill Enhancement Specialist He works with Kids of all ages He works with Some of the best talent In the NBA People like Brandon Ingram Of my beloved Lakers uh, Victor Oladipo And many more Micah is a Cool dude With a really unique mind He's got a really unique way Of breaking down Macro skills In basketball Into micro skills If you follow him On Instagram Or Facebook You'll see he has A really unique way Of breaking the game down And uh for me, in building Mind Body Hoops into a brand, into a business, uh, you know, in these early stages of building something that's new, uh, I really resonated with Micah and his story and his journey. He really had to work hard to make a name for himself to build his own lane, if you will, in basketball. He really is doing things differently than a lot of people. And so this talk really was inspiring for me to hear how he did it, his thought process and uh, a bunch more. It's cool to hear how he says like he reverse engineers a lot of what he does on the basketball side of things. And then it's kind of cool to hear his philosophies in terms of business and basketball to kind of paint the umbrella of who he is as a person. He's a really strong mentality. He's a really cool dude. Uh, and again, he kind of just created his own lane in this basketball space of which I greatly respect. So this was an awesome conversation. I was grateful to be able to sit down and talk to him. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. So without further ado, enjoy this dope conversation I had with Micah Lancaster, NBA skills enhancement specialist. Micah, thank you so much for hopping on, man. You are uh, in many people's eyes, like one of the best brains in basketball, whether it's the game or the sport or the business. You're an interesting man. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for on the podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here, Max. And um, I'll, I always like it when someone finds me interesting before we've spoken. So we'll see. Where we can go from
0: here. <laughs> I mean, preparing for this interview, man, and this talk, like uh, I, I knew you were interesting. I liked your work. I really enjoyed what you did. But the, the more I dove into you, the more I really liked it and kind of the way you approach things. Um, but I think the way I want to start it with is is your Instagram bio. I'm gonna go super shallow to start off. So you call yourself, you know, almost like a scientist, an inventor, an innovator. Um it's easy from the outside looking in, kind of why you came to that, but but why do you call yourself that?
1: Um the inventor is easy. So when it comes to to basketball training, I've invented a lot of the training tools that um you see floating around. So I don't know if you're familiar with the rip cone. Mm-hmm. Um it's a pretty common cone now. It's one that I created several years back. Um it's it's all over China and, and, and Asia, a lot of counterfeits out there, too, and um, floating around um, throughout the U.S. But it's pretty much a, a cone with, that we wanted to put grip on so we could change the mindset of what cones are used for and use it more for a training tool rather than something that just sits on the floor and, and is not used. Um, I've created the, uh, the weighted tennis ball, which was the first um, weighted tennis ball for actually taking what was created for the game of tennis and creating a product for the game of basketball. Um, and I also created the uh, the backboard training system that we use, which is um, it's pretty simple um, creation, but it's uh, separating the backboard into six squares so we can be a lot more precise with how we target different parts of the backboard and making sure that we can utilize the entire space. And and I would say just overall in, in the invention space, a lot of it's just creating curriculum and um, creating a new category of basketball training, which we call skill enhancement. Those are the actual products that I would say I invented.
0: Yeah. I thought Go you ahead. meant it more. I thought you meant it more in a sense of kind of what you just said and like creating the the landscape of the course and the and the teaching style. I didn't actually know you created products and and then you touched on the skill enhancement. So you uh you've made it pretty clear that you're not like an in-game trainer. You're not like uh, you know, trying to get people so much for specific game situations, but you're almost training uh, in my eyes, almost like a holistic approach to the game, skill enhancement. So if you could, in your own words, to lay the groundwork just a little bit more. What's the difference between a like a game like tr- or a game situation trainer and then a skill enhancement trainer?
1: I think the biggest thing that people have to wrap their minds around is it's a completely different category. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't mean to say that by saying it's a different level. Because a lot of times when you say that people think you're trying to, to say we're in a different level. Totally. No, we're in a completely different category. It's kind of like comparing, you know, rap to country. So mm-hmm. You know, it's just completely different. Now, I would say that I'm rap and game enhancements country, but that's, you know, that's a different topic altogether. But um, regardless of that, so when we're talking about skill enhancement training, what we've really done is um, really start to focus on everything that's not game situation. And really, you know, diving into just the overall characteristics that we need in our bodies, um, the physical traits. Uh, The the raw skills, what we would say, of how your footwork needs to be able to operate, techniques of the ball, and how you handle the basketball, pass the basketball, finish, and um, really taking away the context of the game so we can train the body and the brain along with the skills. yeah That would probably be the easiest way to explain it. So in that case, if you're looking at me trying to put me in the other category, I'm not going to make any sense because you're going to try to look at everything literally from a game situational standpoint.
0: Yeah. What I like about you is you can't really put you in a category from in a lot of perspectives. But one thing that I looked at, uh, and I really liked the way you put it, was that you're training the nervous system. And, and it, once I read that and the way you put that, it kind of put a lot of things in perspective in terms of what you do. And the, and the movements that you have people putting through might look so chaotic and weird, but you really are just like training the way they move. Um, how did you get to this point where you have such a deep understanding of almost physiology, psychology? all wrapped up and, and bettering the person mind and body wise so that it can translate well to the game. Like this is so, it almost comes, it is so innovative. It is so out of the box looking from the outside in. Um, how did you get to this And this, in this sense of mastery to be able to teach this at such a high level.
1: I think it really came. Like I always say, I've reverse engineered the game in terms yeah. of the way I look at it. Um, and I didn't really know the scientific implications of what I was doing until neuro- you know, basically neuroscientists were coming to me and telling me how um, much it fits their world. Mm. Right. So, you know, because I had never looked at it from a scientific perspective. I just looked at it from a training perspective and what I was trying to accomplish with basketball players and, and what I was studying. So um, it's really been amazing to see how it all fits. But I've always studied the game by watching it in very slow motion, frame by frame, and really studying pictures.
0: Mm. So,
1: um, you know, we, we talk a lot about picture taking moments and being able to pause a moment in time and being able to study that picture and really ask ourselves, how can I get a player to be able to have this moment?
0: Mm. So
1: where a lot of times with game situational training, um, you're going through almost like a, a rehearsal of a play. So you're just repeating the same action over and over again, but you might not ever step back and see if the pictures are matching up of what a high-level player's picture would have looked like in that same situation. Mm. Um, and so that's what I mean by reverse engineering: is we start the picture and then we move out of that to see um, what we're going to add to that.
0: How do you, uh, what's your approach to like, a at a young age, it seems like you work with, you know, younger people as well, not just NBA athletes and some of the best in the world, but you work with people, even the lower levels. And something I've been thinking about when it comes to like things like nervous system training and, you know, kind of different movement patterns is like being a multi-sport athlete. What's your kind of stance, uh, on multi-sport, because it almost seems like you are, I'm sure some of these players come to you and what you're training them to do, might be just like the first time they've done a certain movement or it might be super awkward, almost as if they're playing another sport. Do you think people are specializing in sports too early and, and kind of limiting themselves in terms of what their movement patterns can be?
1: Um, I, I don't know if people are, are, are doing it too early or if they're specializing too early. I mean, because it's really, to me, about what you want. Yeah. And as long as a kid is, is doing something that they really enjoy, whether or not it's three sports, two sports, or one, mm-hmm. I think that's important right away. But I do think that it's important um, – you know, that once they really know which one they love to start being more focused on the one. Mm-hmm. Um, now when you do that, I don't have the answer. It could be eighth grade, sixth grade, fifth grade. It, it, I don't think there's a one size fit all answer for that. Um, but I, I do think that for how competitive things are getting and how good you have to be now, because training in itself has blown up, um, athletic work has gotten better. So I just think that, uh, Sooner than later, a player, an athlete has to decide what they want to do and start specifically training for that. Yeah. But I, I think it is interesting to look at what we do as, I mean, obviously, it's dealing with the sport of basketball. But it, it, we're, we're really, we're almost a bridge, I would say, between the game of basketball and strength and conditioning. We're right there in the middle. Yeah. So we're, a lot of times, we're helping connect the dots from the strength and conditioning components back into the game from a, skills pers- a skill perspective. So a player can start to really tap into the athletic abilities that they're creating. And I think the easiest way to explain that is you can give someone an incredible vertical lead, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily going to know how to jump properly in the game. And so I would sit there in between that of trying to connect their athletic components, bring their athleticism out into the skills so we can start actually having better results when they get there.
0: Is there any like uh low hanging fruit in terms of things you recommend people do to kind of work on their body and maybe different movement patterns say that they do want to convert and, and just go all in on basketball, even at a young age, but you also don't want to be, you know, limiting their, you know, that they're just doing the same basic, you know, foundational movements all the time. Is there any low hanging fruit there that you recommend people do or, or take advantage of kind of the things that you teach from if maybe they don't have access to reach you? Like, what would you recommend for those people?
1: Oh, um, See, I get a lot of those types of questions, like what are and it almost sounds like you're asking what are the few things or what are the important things. Um, And this is where I'm probably the most unconventional is I just say, look for more Hmm. and find as much more as you can. And what I'm saying is like we, we, we train players from our on the skill enhancement side of things. We're dealing with our checklist, which is over 600 skills and methods. And that's really um, countercultural to the past because we were always told, actually I just released a video today on the topic, we are always told lines like a jack of all trades, a master of none, where you're almost told to specialize on the the few things to be great because if you do too much, um, then you're gonna be a master of nothing. And I think that's really poor advice when it comes to the skills within basketball. So the more skills that we can provide a player, especially from an early age, the more we're able to expose them To hundreds of things rather than you know a handful of things, the more they're really able to find themselves and and discover their identities as basketball players. Otherwise, they end up really turning themselves into role players way too early. Mm -hmm. So I would say just go after more, especially young ages. Don't try to go into the mastery world yet. Just discover more footwork, more ball handling, more finishing, and more ways you know to work on your overall game because you'll really figure out who you are in that process as well.
0: I like that. And I can resonate with that because I'm in this early stage of you know trying to launch business and all that. And it it's coming to this point where I'm recognizing that specializing might not be the best idea for me at this young age. And that looking at someone like you, I can recognize that like the importance of skill stacking. And it sounds like that's an advocate that you're stacking on skills rather than just going down one hole. Um, and you talked about reverse engineering. So I'm interested to see like your business. And a lot of people refer to you as one of the best business minds in basketball. And, and it's it's easy to see why, you know, you're working with people from around the world coming to travel with you uh, or train with you. You're working with some of the best NBA clients in the world. Um, And then you have all these certified trainers that are beasts on their own. So did you kind of reverse engineer your business as well? Is this something that you found your skill stacking to help with business as well? Or did this kind of just naturally unfold given your basketball IQ? I
1: mean, I think the best thing that I've done from a business perspective is is rely on people who know business and, you know, seek information, seek wisdom from other people and let people do the job that they're good at. I wouldn't say that I'm a, a great businessman. In some ways I almost, you know, and some people say it genuinely, but a lot of times, you know, people say, wow, you're a great marketer. Well, not really. Cause what all I'm doing is just posting my thoughts and my training. So if you look at a post as marketing, then I guess that's what I I'm doing, but I'm really just showing you what I'm doing. Um, and so I don't think it's as, uh, deep as, as it may appear. Um, but I think that from a business perspective, you know, the best thing that I've ever been able to do is just being able to find people who are really good at things that I don't do and rely on them. I don't try to wear all the hats. Actually, I, I try to make that as a, as much of a a teaching point I can to trainers and to to people in general is do not wear all the hats. You're not going to be amazing at every part of this. And so, figure out what you're good at, and then find as many of those other people as possible to fill in your gaps and And to me, um, as long as you're good at what you do, things will take care of themselves at that point.
0: What are you really, really good at? Like you're really humble and you're you're the first to deflect credit, but what are the things that you kind of hang your hat on
1: um i'm 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 really good at um, the way that I study the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm good at at seeing details that I guess other people don't necessarily see. I just have an eye for it, I guess. Um, and it's it's just kind of something that that I've learned over time that I just see things differently. Um from a from a business uh, perspective, I'm 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 good enough to do some video editing because I had to kind of do it on my own in the beginning. Mm. Um and I'm a good writer and speaker. So I, I would say those are my those are my uh main prongs. Um but just in, in terms of I think if I was to say what has allowed me to to be, you know, as Effective as I've been able to be, or have the, the success that I've been able to experience, is I just try to um, treat people the right way. Um, and uh, I think it's almost becomes cliche when people say that because we know <laughs> it's a good answer. But yeah. um, I think it's really important that you know we we're we're doing things for the right reasons, and we're not stabbing people in the back, and we're we're trying to be a, as authentic and and real to people as possible. And because I, I see a lot of trainers and coaches just burning a lot of bridges um you know just from short-term you know vision and so understanding that um you know there we're trying to help people is is always going to be what we need to keep at the forefront
0: i like that and it, it really is the way you put it the wild wild west of basketball it seems with these these trainers and it's you can see people taking shots at people sometimes but i like that you have that approach did you have uh I want to almost hammer down the question I already asked, but did you kind of have a, a vision with this? You said you reverse engineered, you know, um, kind of the game in some ways. Did you reverse engineer your business or was, a, was it a slow unfolding? Was it more of a, you following your intuition and your gut and taking just the next right step and doing it one step at a time? Or was this kind of something you've always kind of had in the back of your mind as something you wanted to build out in terms of facilities and trainers and, um, you know, travel programs and things like that?
1: No, I, I definitely did not reverse engineer this. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, um, All right. <laughs> you know, God opened up a ton of doors. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, and, it really, if, if, I, if I look at when I started this, there was probably four to five trainers that I had ever even heard of that were full-time trainers. It was really a, not an industry at the time. It wasn't something that people did. And so it was like the type of thing where you say, yeah, I'm a basketball trainer. And you say, okay, what's going to be your grown-up job? Yeah, uh, you know, and so that, that's the way it was now. I mean, it was then. So, so when I started it, it was a side job, something that I never really knew that could turn into to anything bigger, but I just loved doing it. And then um I realized that what I was doing was just different. And I just, I never knew that. I just figured, you know, I, I created things that I was doing. Um, I didn't have coaches to bring me up, which is probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I had to create ways to get myself better. Mm. But you just assume that, you know, other people are doing this too. I didn't, this is nothing original. So it wasn't until I actually realized that when I was posting these things on YouTube of what I was doing, people real, I kept getting, i would never seen it before. I've never seen it before. And so that's when I really realized that I was doing something different. And when I saw how effective it was for other people outside of just myself, because um, a lot of trainers got themselves better as players, but it's trickier to get other people better. Um, and so when I saw that it was, it was effective and different, then I started to get a bigger grasp that this could turn into something, and then just one step at a time, and being faithful and trusting God to open up the next door. Um, I could never have imagined that it, it's gotten to where it has.
0: What was your, uh, if you don't mind, I ask, what was your your main job for a while? While this is just your side job, I feel like people would be interested in that. Oh man,
1: my my story is crazy. So, uh, <laughs> and I'll try to I'll try to wrap it up quickly. But so I got married right out of college, and so um, my wife and I, I was planning on playing overseas, and I actually got some some pretty good offers the best offer i received was eight thousand dollars a month to play um i think that one was in germany okay. um uh, which for at that time i couldn't believe that i was getting those types of offers but the problem <laughs> was that um they wouldn't take my wife so you know i i had to because you have to stay with other americans and and so they didn't have housing for her and uh they teams didn't want me to bring her so you know so i basically had to choose at that time between my marriage and continuing playing professionally and obviously i chose my marriage um, and, um, started playing semi-professionally in the U S and, um, so there was a local team in the Grand Rapids called the Grand Rapids flight. So I played in the IBL, which is the International Basketball League. And so while I was doing that, those that pays like 50 to a hundred dollars a game. And so I, I did everything. I was a janitor. Um, so I could have mornings, you know, no 430, 430 to 830 AM. I would do that. So I could go to practice and still play. Um, you know, that, that, uh, I eventually had to get rid of that one. So I went over and did room service at a hotel. Um, I just I tried to find any job that would give me just crazy hours so I could still have time to train and, and to uh, figure out what I was doing with basketball. I went into to valet where I was valeting cars. Um, and so I just did a lot of bunch of little side jobs that that would give me enough flexibility to, to just stay on the path. And um and uh yeah, I mean, eventually I figured out that training was the way to go. And we went, we went that route.
0: That's wild. I mean, that's insane. Damn. All yeah. Right. And that's inspiring for people to hear from me too. Like sometimes you got to do what it takes, but janitor, uh, room service, that's some stuff I feel like I would have never guessed by looking at you, man. But well, you have to do
1: things that, um, are flexible enough. Right. So, right. you know, I, my goal was never to establish a job that I was going to be my career. I knew that I was doing something only for the purpose of getting by to the next step. Yeah. And so, and I've incurred like, The thing that I see most people really struggle with when they go into anything, whether or not it's training or starting a business, is they're not willing to do those embarrassing things. You know, there was nothing. um, I mean, I went from thinking I had an eight thousand dollar a month offer in Germany to being a janitor and playing, you know, semi professional basketball in Michigan. So, you know, it 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 would be embarrassing if I allowed it to be. But because I already knew what my reasons were and, and why I was doing it, and that I had a bigger mission at hand, you know, it, it It wasn't embarrassing at all. It was just a necessary part of the process. I think more, more people have to lose the ego in
0: that. How do you go about losing your ego? How, what would you say to someone in those early stages where they kind of have to put their ego aside, they have to humble themselves to the process? Like, what would you say to them, you know, to keep that uncertainty belief? Or if they don't have that belief, would you just, just kind of recommend they go a different direction? Like, what would you say to someone like that? Because I resonate with that. And I'm sure a lot of people do.
1: I mean, I would just say that it doesn't really matter what people think about you, which is really easy to say, um, you know, and it, as long as you have a, a vision and a purpose in mind, you have to just simply look at what has to be done in order for you to accomplish what you have to accomplish. Nothing else really matters. I don't know if you if you saw it. I, I had a video, one of my first YouTube videos that really went, I guess, viral called Be Blind. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I recommend anyone to go and watch it. It was a classic. Um, but um, and that's really what it was talking talk what it was talking about it was just you know if are you willing to do things that you're going to get laughed at for doing and that in some ways i was already prepared for that because i already had trained in ways that some players would come in the gym they're like what is this guy doing you know because it was so different than what they had seen and they would poke fun or whatever it was doing but you know then i got to play them and they could see the results of it on the court right so i assumed i had seen that sometimes you do things that are unconventional or different and people might not uh, get it or maybe they'll even make fun of you who knows but it's it's the purpose and and it's the uh, end goal that should really matter
0: i love that and i'm taking that to heart because in times it it can feel like the weight on your shoulders but if you just kind of take it one step at a time and recognize that what other people think it doesn't matter you talked about the reason you got you kind of humbled yourself also in the process of um, you know, developing the business and, and you learn from people that were maybe more adept at business than you or, or had better ideas. What's kind of your tactical ways of kind of feeding your mind new ideas and, and keeping your brain sharp? You know, you consider yourself a scientist, an inventor, an innovator. Like, what are you doing on the daily, man? Like, are you reading? Are you listening to the podcast? Do you have mentors? Do you have um, people, you know, that help you out? Like, what does that kind of look like? The process of you adding to your mind, adding to your toolbox?
1: Um. First, let me just let me correct you. I call myself a basketball scientist.
0: Oh, you know? man. <laughs> my bad. I, I definitely
1: man. am not a scientist. That's I was a different level. Yeah, yeah, than, yeah. I'm just playfully, from a basketball playfully. Scientist perspective. And just trying to show people that we're we're putting more thought into <laughs> what we're doing than they than they might see from the outside. I feel but, that. Um, I would you know, reading just reading good books, um, listening to podcasts, just anything that you can. Get your head wrapped around obviously I'm a Christian so going to church and reading my Bible and, and um, you know worship CDs or, or anything of that all that all that is positive things to 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 put into your system and I think that's the biggest thing and all this negativity is just look for positive um, you know any positive information any any um, any spiritual information that you can pump into your system. Um, just do that as much as you can and that's been harder you know as things have gotten busier and you just have to continue to remind yourself of the importance of it because when you forget and you don't put that positive stuff in you then the negativity can start to disrupt you and so because we live in a crazy negative world um, yeah you know and 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 I've gotten pretty good at filling myself with positive because I've been around a ton of negative <laughs> and so um, and uh, it, it's almost made entertaining to go through the negative when you have um, enough positive being pumped in.
0: I love that. I'm so huge on that. I'm almost like a, a positive addict. Like I, I consider myself like a cup and every day I have to fill it up with positive stuff or else, because if I just go through the motions of a normal day, it's incredible. Like how susceptible I am to like other people's negative energy or things that you see on social media or TV or whatever. And so finding that time to read or listen to a podcast on a commute or fill your mind with some spiritual beliefs that I do often. It's it's so empowering and it's so important. I love that. And you said you talked about, you, you know, you're faced with some negative shit. Um, one thing that I keep in my mind, you know, on this journey is that on the path to, you know, quote unquote success, there's going to be failures. There's going to be hard times. So the question I have for you, is there a particular failure or I'm quoting quote unquote failure or struggle that you like to look back on as like, your favorite, like, do you have a failure or a time that was really hard for you that you now can look back on and almost look at it with fond eyes because of where you're at now?
1: Um, yeah, um, and and you and you didn't say it completely. I, I'm I'm really big on wordplay, um, mm. and so I actually don't don't really look at much as failure. I, I look at them look at them as um, obstacles. Yeah, uh, obstacles. Okay. And so you know the way I always say, if I don't stop moving, then you can't really say that I have failed. I just simply haven't gotten there yet. I love that. Um, and so, you know, so as far as the setbacks and obstacles that I've faced, I mean, um, I I think I've ran into one every step of the way, so it's hard to rank them. But like when I look at kind of, if you know my basketball journey at all, I always usually start as a freshman in high school where I was four foot 11. Um, and so my dream is playing college basketball and, and obviously when you're at that size, you get laughed at a lot and told to do something differently. And this is a difference, you know, you're playing the wrong sport, you know, do something else. I, I I had people tell me that I should be a a horse jockey. Um, you know, I had a teacher pull me aside and tell me, you know, stop carrying my basketball around and just do something differently. This is never going to work for you. So, you know, so that was kind of where I started. So every step along the way, when I'm trying to to prove myself, I'm running into all these setbacks and obstacles. I'm, I'm, Five foot two as a sophomore, and um, I had worked hard enough to get moved up to varsity, but I played one game and they moved me right back down. So that was like the first one that really stung because that was where people started to really point and say, "See, we told you, you're too short. You know, this this isn't going to work for you." Mm-hmm. Then, when I'm a junior in high school, I finally played varsity. The very first play of the game, I tear up my knee. So I tore the cartilage in my knee, and I'm uh, I'm hobbled for the season. And and just had a you know I I came back by the end of the year, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't much of a year. And so now I have one summer left where I'm supposed to all of a sudden make this dream happen. And so that's the one that I think that changed things the most for me, because uh, that was when I really decided I was going to change my whole approach. And so I did eight hours a day of training, five days a week, locked myself in a gym, um, and just pretty much brought my breakfast, brought my lunch and just trained as much as I could throughout that summer. And That was when all my results came. I averaged, you know, 30 points a game in in the tournament as a senior, 26 on the season, got my college scholarship offers and really took off from there. So that's the setback that I look at as the one that made the biggest difference for me that taught me the most lessons, because I realized that when I had it, I was able to have a reaction um, that really made the difference. So, uh, but I, I think every, you know, just from... There's it's it's almost like if I don't have one of those on a yearly basis, I'm getting concerned. You know, there's always going to be setbacks and obstacles and things that happen um, that you just can't predict. Whether or not it's people that you trusted that do something to you, or um, you know, you're hurt by this person or that situation. Um, You know, it's just just part of part of life and part of you know trying to help people and being in this industry is you're going to have a lot of mess that you go through. but I think that's the one that I fall back on the most because I was able to re- receive that setback and turn it into something positive.
0: And that's something I can take to heart for sure. And a lot of people can. And it is clear why that you know taught you so much at such a young age. It's like you bounced back with by no accident. It wasn't like you just overcame it mentally. You also had to put in hours and hours and hours. You you cut me off right away and you said, Max, don't don't use the word failure. Basically, so I have to ask you about that because I'm huge on not huge on, but I'm actually Becoming very like cognizant of the words I use, and and honestly, like looking into the science of it, how our vocabulary can affect our unconscious, and how our unconscious can affect kind of the way we we view things and our beliefs. So, your whole brand is basically built on built or named after you know a wordplay of I am I am possible or I am possible, and and you made sure I didn't use the word failure. So, why is kind of the way you use your words so important to you?
1: I mean, there's, there's power in the tongue and there's power in what
0: we speak. Um, but
1: I I just think that there's so many cliches. Like I, I love cliches that, um, that we can twist and, and and turn around a little bit because there's so many cliches that I think hold people back. Um, you know, things like uh whether or not this falls in the, in the definition of a cliche or not. I just did a, a, a recent post on, you know, can't plus yet, where we're always told as kids by coaches, whoever else don't use the word can't and i'm really big on using the word can't that's one of the words that i actually do like because i think it's important for someone to confront the reality of their can'ts and the things they can't can't currently do um rather than telling them they don't exist say they do exist but put a yet next to it and now you're really starting to see where you're going Um, so i love can't plus yet for instance when it comes to a failure uh like i already said earlier you know, that that one's never really resonated with me to the point where you can say that I failed. You know, if I have a a dream and a vision, you know, and and I don't get there yet, and someone says, Oh, you failed. Well, I'm still moving towards it. So I could be crawling, I could be running, I could be walking, it doesn't matter my speed of it. But if I'm still moving towards that goal. Then I'm not going to let myself use that word. So I people say things like failing forward, I would rather go falling forward. But I'm not going to use that word because I'm not going to stop. So to me, it's a it's a matter of persistence. But I just think that the way that we choose to look at life and the way we choose to speak about our life is extremely important because it's 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 setting up our belief systems and it's it's making sure that we're focused on um, the right things. And and I I I don't think that um, you know, words are, you know, connected to to destiny of you'll manifest whatever you say in that type of way. But there's a lot of biblical truth in um, the the words that are coming out of our mouth and so I think that you know it's definitely something we want to keep in mind that if I want good things to happen for me then I want to speak about those good things happening for me because um, it's very difficult to speak negatively over your life and receive positive results
0: is that something you work on with your with the kids and the you know the adults that you work with while you're training them do you kind of pick them apart and if in real time they use the wrong vocab do you try to correct them or do you stay away from that while training
1: Oh, you know, I I love to correct them on stuff like that, <laughs> right? And um, and I like to just ask you questions and see why you said it, and, and start to get down to the matter of it. Because in the end, what what I'm probably the best at in terms of as a teacher and as a trainer, is I'm very very good at helping a player believe in themselves. Um, and and a lot of times it's it's just you know, showing them what they can do, that they don't think they can. So it's it's showing them like, hey, I don't think I can jump that high. Well, let me show you that you can. Um, so it's improving their overall belief system and confidence levels in themselves, but then also um, you know, talking to them philosophically about the, the importance of of the way they view themselves and a and the way they view challenges and and view frustrations and all that type of stuff. I mean, those are great teaching moments to to really leave an impression on people who need help and and are looking for it. So uh, any type of wordplay that i get get a chance to i i think uh, i'll take cuz that that's the fun stuff
0: is there one that stands out as like the one that kids need philosophically need help with most when it comes to you know just a shift in belief like i like that you said that to believe in yourself you got to first like maybe recognize the, the the things you're doing right but beyond that is there something between you know frustration or confidence or something like that that people that you you kind of help with most often
1: yeah, I think frustration is the key. I mean, I I say frustration is earned. Yeah, I love uh, that. And uh, that that's one of my favorites, and that's the one I I deal with a lot because remember, I'm I'm a different category of of training, and so my purpose is not to celebrate someone's strengths. I think that's a lot of times what you do in game enhancement training and coaching is you you really focus on what people are good at for the most part, and you hide their weaknesses. That's kind of your job. So I'm on the opposite side of that. I'm in skill enhancement where. I'm not really caring about what you're good at. I'm going to go after your weaknesses. And so I'm obviously someone who's dealing a lot with people's frustrations because I'm literally showing you how bad you are at a skill or at the game. Mm. And so if if you're frustrated, you're going to have a really hard time breaking through. And so that's why I always tell them that they need to earn the right to be frustrated. Um, and, and so that means simply that if you haven't done this enough reps yet, you haven't put in enough work yet, then you don't have the right to be good at it. And if you don't have the right to be good at it, then you don't have the right to be frustrated. And when we're able to flip that so they can see that as not frustrating, but as an exciting challenge, we're able to overcome the obstacles in my eyes, 10 times faster. When a kid is stuck in frustration because they've been told um, that uh, a weakness is a bad thing, when they've been told that, you know, you're not supposed to struggle, you're supposed to make your layups, you're supposed to make that shot. When When they look at, everything as a result. So they're frustrated as a result of that, it's really hard to push them through to the next level. So as soon as I can get people to look at um, their weaknesses as something exciting and as something that's a a new fun challenge, uh, that's when we can make the biggest improvements.
0: Yeah. And that can apply to anything in life, whether it's basketball business or any any part of you developing yourself. When you find that frustration, that can be channeled into, you know, I'm getting closer, which I love. Um, I'm going to wrap this up soon. I want to be cognizant of your time, but I have a couple more quick questions I have to ask. Um, you've worked with people like Kyrie, Victor Oladipo, Brendan Ingram. Is there something about these high caliber NBA athletes that you want people to know? Like, um, Is there something that stands out from these people that you kind of wish people knew or, or maybe think people get this wrong about these type of people? Like, You're working so close with these guys. You're getting these guys frustrated, the best in the world. Is there anything that um, people don't see behind closed doors in those situations?
1: Um, well let me just focus on Victor because that's who I'm out with right now. Mm. Um so I'm in Miami um, and he's obviously working on his rehab. Yeah. Um and I I I think people know this about him, but I just want to reiterate it. So after he tears his quad tendon and everyone's saying disaster this and how horrible it is, and obviously we don't ever want to have those types of injuries. We we're having a conversation the day after about how great of an opportunity it was. And and I think that type of mindset is what people need to, to understand because he was able to, to go through something like that and then immediately flip it around and say, I'm going to turn this into an incredible thing for me. Now we're going to have the longest off season that I've ever had. Now we're going to be able to, to really focus on shooting at a different level and ball handling and passing. And I'm going to be able to master so many of those fine skills that I wouldn't have had a chance to master. We're going to learn how to rebuild my body better than it's ever been. Everything was positive um and so there wasn't this panic it was actually a a a moment of peace where this is not only going to turn out great it's going to turn out better um and and that's just such an awesome approach at life and at basketball so to me his approach to that and his ability to to be who he is and to have the mindset that he has is one of my biggest missions to help other people attain
0: it's so cool to be able to hear from you having worked with him so close it's it's cool to see you know, we see small clips, we see small previews of, you know, what Vic's doing and, and how he seems so resilient, but to hear from you, like even the day after such a, what we think of his gruesome injury, he's he's so positive. I'm really grateful for for you hopping on the podcast and talking to me. One selfish question I'd like to ask uh, at the end of the podcast is, assuming you would change nothing, is there a piece of advice you would give your yourself at 24 years old, that's a
1: tough question.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite so when one. I, when
1: I look back at who I was at 24 years old, that would have been the first year of, of going out and doing this. So that would have been 2008. And that means that I was about to run into every roadblock possible in terms of someone who is starting a business, um, which means um, I was going to realize that I couldn't figure out a business model. I was going to realize I didn't know how to charge, you know, any type of I didn't know how to set up a business. I didn't know how to do anything. Um, and so, I, I think that the main piece of advice is just be patient and have fun. Um, you know, I, I, I think if I could have taught myself the lessons at that time that I just talked about, about the, the, the amount of persistence that would be needed, the amount of um, wasted energy I would have by being frustrated and just being able to stay just focused on one step at a time and just trusting the results to happen over time, um, I would have enjoyed the ride a whole lot more. Um, you know, when I, when I look at my basketball journey, I really, you know, I I love the persistence that I know was there, all the reps and things that eventually led to the breakthrough. Um, my first few years in business, I didn't enjoy it. It was, it, it was more of a, a more stressful. It wasn't the same. So, to be able to have, have approached business in the same way that I approached the game was what I would really want myself to do. Is just do one rep at a time, understanding that eventually that's going to lead to a breakthrough um and that the immediately will happen after my persistence um and so i I think that would be the the big key that's that's one of my go-to phrases now is is immediately comes after persistence and Mm. so being able to just remind myself that at the early stages that you're going to run into these roadblocks but as long as you stay persistent it's going to happen so enjoy it Mm. you know enjoy your family and enjoy the process be with your kids be with your wife um and just enjoy enjoy the ride
0: That's it. Thanks for listening, people. Hope you have a splendid rest of your day. And uh, if you haven't already, just do me a solid real fast. Leave me a review on the Apple iTunes app. Um, Those reviews really help me in gaining new guests. I want to keep this thing going and... And if you want to do your small part in making sure I gain some more credibility in the podcast space, a review is the way you can do that. So uh, that's it. That's all. Thanks again to Micah for hopping on the podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next week. Love ya.